Welcome to the Ultimate Tournament of Everything, where we compare everything off Wikipedia to everything that could possibly ever be on Wikipedia. That's right, and we do so by taking each one of those things, putting them into a small golden canister inside a specially designed metal ball. We then shoot highly focused lasers at that thing, one golden canister at a time. Which one will present to us with an infinite amount of free and usable energy? Well, that will be the one moving on to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. While we may not have yet harnessed the power of nuclear fusion, don't worry, that dream is only ever 10 years away. Maybe today yes. is the day. Perhaps. We do put the fun in fusion. But, Rob, why don't you tell us what we'll actually be doing on this fun, fun episode? We will actually be comparing articles off Wikipedia two by two over nine rounds to figure out which of those nine would win our tournament and move on to our inevitable and yet never quite here next round. Uh, just as the future of free energy seems to be always elusive, that is contrasting to this very first round, which is here now. Round, 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 round. In round one, we have a lady whose name is very long, but only includes five actual letters, Maya Etirinatinina, and Kella, the surname. Uh, very much fewer letters in that one, but I think that we should see which one of these is going to get a letter grade of A here in this round, so let's dive right in. Maya Etirinatina. M-A-Y-A-E-T-T-Y-R-Y-N-T-Y-N-A, like I said, not many letters, but yet also many letters, was a Soviet and Russian politician and former member of the Federation Council from Chukotka Autonomous Okreg, 1994 to 1996. She was ethnically a Chukchi and was born on December 21st, 1940 in Toigonin Reindeer Encampment, in the 50s, it was merged with other smaller encampments in the far northern corner of Chukotka. In 1964, she graduated Kaboroskovsk State Medical Institute and later worked as a primary care physician in Andir and Kabarovsk. Uh, in, it's tough to say these words here. In 1974, she was promoted to chief doctor of the Chukotsky District, and in 1980 to 1985, she was Chief of Medical Statistics in the Chukotka Central or Okrug Hospital, and in 1985, she became Chief Doctor at a tuberculosis dispensary. Guys, the names are just difficult, and there are more of them, so buckle up. She was active in local politics, even being elected to the district in Okrug Soviet of the People's Deputies. On March 18th of 1990, she was elected People's Deputy of Russia from Chukotka National Territory Constituency Number 166. She was then elected to the Supreme Soviet of Russia, where in September of 1991, she was appointed to the Soviet of Nationalities Commission on Social and Economic Development of National Autonomies and Small Indigenous Peoples. This was, I think, right before the fall of the Soviet Union. So while she was on her way up in government, the government was unfortunately on the way out. 
too true. And after the delusion of the Supreme Soviet on the 4th of October 1993, she was appointed chair of the Regional Commission for the Bering Strait, which fostered joint cooperation between Russia and the United States in the region. In December of 1993, she ran for a newly created Federation Council in the Chukotka two-member constituency as an independent and placed first in the election with 27 points. 29% of the vote. Uh, the second mandate was won by another individual, Chief of Regional Justice in Russia. She was married and had several children, doesn't tell us anything about them, and she was also a member of the board of the Soviet Peace Fund. Now, I wonder if anyone on the other side was a member of any board or peace fund. And of course, we're talking about Kela, the surname C E L A, a Spanish. Galician surname, so it might be pronounced Sela, it might be pronounced Gea. I'm not exactly sure. These people were, though, and they sure were doing interesting things. We've got Alfonso, let's go with Sela, a Spanish bullfighter. We also had Camillo Jose Sela, a Spanish Nobel Prize winning writer. There are several other big hitters here. Rob, why don't you hit us with your favorite? My favorite would be Paloma Kea, the Spanish actress and model. I don't know why. Paloma just sounds like a fun name. Don't know anything about any of them. I think Paloma means dove. That could be true. I'm not sure. We'll never know because that's not what this article is about. But, uh, yeah, good list of people here. I'm sure wonderful people, footballers, marshals, another actress here, Ooh, even a psychologist and politician. But I wonder if any of them put together were as spectacular as this lady with the long, long name. I think maybe not on their own, but like the parts of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers giant fighting robot, they are stronger together. And I think when you have a Spanish bullfighter, a Nobel Prize winner, and a psychologist and politician, you cannot lose. It's definitely an eclectic team with a whole bunch of skills that, when put together, would be near unbeatable. As they were here in this round, and that's why they're moving on to round two of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. They're a Spanish super team. See, see, and you know what? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, round two. Let's see who we'll be looking at here. Why don't you hit us with that good old music? It's time for round two. In round two, we have Iker Fernandez against Happy Now, the No Doubt song. Interesting, interesting. We've got a snowboarder versus a song that perhaps you'd listen to while you were snowboarding. Uh, a song by the American band No Doubt for their third studio album, Tragic Kingdom. Iker Fernandez, born September 9th, 1977, is a Spanish snowboarder. He competed at the 1998 Winter Olympics, the 2002 Winter Olympics, and the 2006 Winter Olympics. It doesn't list a medal, which usually means he didn't win any. Now, I'd like to see snowboarding in the Summer Olympics and try and see if they can make it down the hill just on, on grass and mud and things like that. I think that'd be, you know, equally, if not more, difficult and impressive. I think it's it's borderline terrible at that point because you're just falling down a mountain with a board strapped to your feet. But the great thing about a mountain is you can only fall down it. You can't fall off of it. Speaking of not falling off, let's talk about that long-running American band, No Doubt. 
Now, this song was written by Gwen Stefani, Tom DeMont, and Tony Canal, produced by Matthew Wilder, and released as the record's sixth single overall on September 23rd of 1997. The commercial CD singles were distributed exclusively in Australia and Europe. However, the song was still released to radio stations in the United States. Now, musically, Happy Now is a sky and rock song with lyrics detailing a painful breakup, specifically the former relationship between Stefani and Canal, though it seems that they were able to, you know, put their differences behind them enough to write this song. Now, despite not receiving a formal release in the United States, nor filming a proper music video, Happy Now received heavy rotation on Californian radio stations such as KROQ. Which I can only croc. assume the croc. I was going to go K-Rock, <laughs> but we can go with the croc. That's fine. Watch out. It bites. <laughs> Critically, the single received a positive reception from music reviewers. Critics called the track emotional and strong and considered it a strong single despite its failure to reach commercial success. Prior singles from Tragic Kingdom normally did. Commercial, commercially, Happy Now reached a lower position on Australia's top singles chart, and it's been performed by No Doubt at a number of live performances, which I would hope so considering it's one of their songs. Indeed, yes. This is a uh, this the band itself was a not so tragic kingdom, except for the rift that happened between those two songwriters. But let's talk about the music itself. Happy Now. Happy Now? There's a question mark. It's a ska power pop and ska punk song. All of those wrapped into one. Mike Boehm from the LA Times thought that uh, Happy Now could serve as a solid example of the band's, quote, improved craft. He also wrote that it correlates well to the musical themes of Tragic Kingdom in which, quote, no doubt depicts flawed people in relationships breaking under the tests of stress. And according to music notes, Happy Now is set in a common time and has a forcefully fast tempo of 158 beats per minute. The key is in this the song of is in the key of C minor, with Stefani's vocal range spanning nearly an octave and a half from F3 to E flat five in scientific pitch notation. And the song progresses in the following chord progressions of C minor, B flat, A flat. In the intro, and then A minor, D minor, F in the verse. I don't think I've ever seen it called scientific pitch notation, and I think someone who wrote this article got a little too heady on the music. It's just power punk, skock punk, man. It's okay. You don't need to be that that complicated with it. Now, yeah. its reception, MTV News' de Blasi was impressed by the track and listed it as the second best breakup song on the album. Which I guess isn't saying much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say of all time, of the year, nope, just of the album. This is you know a tragic kingdom indeed. Now they had some live performances with this, the Tragic Kingdom tour, a performance of the song July first, nineteen ninety seven, in Anaheim at Arrowhead Pond. It was recorded in No Doubt's first live album, live in the Tragic Kingdom, and. Happy Now was selected for inclusion during No Doubt's national return of Saturn Tour in 2000. Looks like a really interesting, great, uh, not only album, but specifically song. We'll have to check it out. We can't play it right now because of law. But uh, what we do have to do right now is decide if we think that this song is better uh, than going against Better than its competitor, I Care Fernandez, the Spanish snowboarder who did so in the winter. I have a soft spot in my heart for any ska music, even, no doubt, even though as far as ska bands go, it is no doubt not my favorite. 
but I think it's better than the metalless snowboarder. Indeed. This round was bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. And I just got to say that I totally agree with you in the end. Happy now? The No Doubt song. You're moving on to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Her career really took off, I think, after she left No Doubt. So good for her. No doubt about it. So I don't have any doubt in my mind that it's time to move on to round... Three. Three. It's time for round three. In round three, we have Bulbophyllum Octarhenipetalum against Build It Up. Very nice job on that. See, we don't get to see these words before we randomly generate them in the moment. And I saw that one come up and I thought to myself, I can't wait to hear Rob try this one. And he did a great job. Let's all give him a round of applause. Yes, very nice. So, between that one that I'm not going to take a stab at and build it up, the it's another album, another rock album here. Let's see which one is going to be able to build up a success here in this round. Bulbophyllum octarhenipetalum is a species of orchid in the genus Bulbophyllum. I think that means that it comes from a bulb and it has a phylum. Uh, also an orchid, I'm seeing here with a picture, it's, you know, a flower. It's got petals. It's got, um, what else do they have? Stems and stamens and things like that. I'm sure it's got all of that. And uh, that's just kind of mostly speculation, but also all we know. Yeah, it's an orchid. It looks like orchids do. Now its competitor, Build It Up, is of course the full-length album released by indie rock band One for the Team, based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. The album was recorded in April of 2008 at Fur Seal Studios with Rob Scorrow and Joe Johnson, and subsequently released jointly on Militia Group and Afternoon Record Labels in 2008. We got a very cool looking album cover here, kind of a postmodern art type of thing. Uh, it says one for the team. We got build it up written right on the top there. So, you know, the name, it's all very good and well, I'm sure that on the back of that album cover was the track listing, which goes as follows, at least in part. The first track was called Apples. Then it came Best Supporting Actor, Dress Up Party, A Better Job, Build It Up and Hey Kid to knock out the first half of the album. It ended with Questions and Panthers, You Know Culture, Deconstruction Site, What Are You Gonna Cry About, Oh No, and finally, We Can Work It Out. I love that, Questions and Panthers. That's really fun to say. Yeah, that's that should be our band name, Questions and Panthers. And it's the probably... question should be, where are the Panthers? Yes, it's good to keep your eye on where the Panthers are because if they get behind you or if they're able to sneak up on you, things can go awry. But it looks like everything went swimmingly with this album. I don't see any stories of uh, calamity or anything like that. It looks like they just decided to build it up and build it up they did until they had built it up. Yeah, who lets the dog? Who let the dogs out is really a fun question. Who let the Panthers out is really a call for alarm. So it's it's probably better. This album is 38 minutes and 59 seconds long. It sounds like it's fun. You know, we can actually do a music version. We should probably do a music episode. We can play Spotify music in the episode if we record it for Spotify. So maybe a future episode we'll have to theme it out because we have so many musical contestants. And now we need to make a choice. Are we going to go with this indie rock album or the really difficult to pronounce Orchid? Well, 
I just don't have a lot to go on for the orchid. I, I wish I had more because I'd love to get some flowers into the next round, you know, spruce up the place a little bit. But I think based on what I've got before me, I'm going to have to go with Build It Up, the full-length album released by indie rock band One for the Team. I think I have to agree with you only because I also have a soft spot in my heart for indie rock. There's a spot for ska, there's a spot for indie rock, and then there's a teeny little spot for all the people in my life. <laughs> I also like that, you know, I mean, in, in all of these, you know, in indie rock, a lot of ska bands too, you get a whole bunch of songs, but it doesn't take long to listen to all of them. You got 12 tracks here in under 40 minutes, you know, in and out. You can't beat that. And looks like this bulb thing could not beat Build It Up. So Build It Up, you are moving on with Funky Funky Style into the next round of The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. I hope we get another rock band. Yeah, let's just keep this uh, rolling, if you will, into round four. Ah, my round four is ready. In round four, we have Okanagodes against Kasirski Lomi. Okay, so no more rock bands, but two very interesting things. We have a genus of cicada from the family Cicidae. That family's been shown up a lot. Very well-represented family. Versus Kosirsk Lomi, the national nature monument in the Olumuk region in the Czech Republic. Now, there are at least two described species in Okanagodes of these cicadas. One discovered in 1919, or I guess first described in 1919 by Davis, and another one also described by Davis in 1932. That is the extent we know about Okanagodes. Now, Kasirski Lomi, the national monument, is made up of four separate areas, which are three separate nature monuments, which I guess were three separate nature monuments until 2017, and the area is administered by the Nature and Landscape Protection Agency of the Czech Republic. Now, isn't a nature monument just a, a... Wouldn't a tree count as a nature monument? I mean, we build statues that are tall and things like that, but we'll never be able to build a statue that looks as much like a tree as a tree itself. Bedrock of Kokorsky Lomi consists of Devonian Dolomites and Lazansky Limestone. Of course, two of my favorite rocks, which are partly covered by Bedanian Mid-Miocene Calcareous Clays and Sands. This is the reason why the area has become an enclave of lime-tolerant vegetation. Now, the locality is protected because of the rare plant community, especially hot, dry grasslands growing on terrain bumps, which are remnants of former minor limestone quarries, which gave the princey its Czech name. Besides them, there used to be a number of little fields and pastures for livestock, and some of the bulks which used to separate the fields are preserved and help to prevent erosion. There are also some residues of orchids in the northern part of the area. Now, steppe-like vegetation grows here mostly. The place is also valued for one of the richest populations of greater anemone here. Are this, and there are snowdrop anemone, sicklier hares, blue sedge, downy-fruited sedge, Carex mckelly, European dwarf cherry, lots and lots of these. Bigger stones are covered by cicaeolus lichens, which are an important indicator of the level of air pollution. 
The grasslands need to be maintained, and shrubs of black, locust, common dogwood, and European privet have to be regularly removed here. That's right. Kosicki loamy is also important from an entomological point of view. There are a number of insects dependent on the local shrub steppe grasslands, and some of the notable species which were observed here for, for example, the European mantis and moth Jersey tiger. And you know, we love a moth here. It's always a moth. Now, the area of the locality is 58.1 acres, and it lies about 300 meters above sea level. It's been protected as a national nature monument of the Czech Republic since 2017, when its status was declared by the regional authority of the Alamuk region. So we have a question here. Is the victor in this round going to be a... Do we say no? It's a cicada, a special bug, or a place which is home to many special bugs. Cicadas can only win on a calendar that's either one, five, seven, seventeen, or how many other years. And I don't know which one it is for this cicada, so I don't think I can give them the crown because it's probably not his time. That's right. They're lying underground and didn't really show up for this round. And so the place that is ground is going to moving on to round two. The ultimate Way to go, bud. Your beautiful nature reserve, doing great, reserving all that nature. We're proud of you, and we can't wait to see you show up again in the next round. But speaking of next round, let's move on to round number five. Round five. Round five. In round five, we have Razi Dinesh Mashadi against Mutir Chajia. We've got a poet versus a footballer, uh, someone of the athletics of the mind versus someone of the, uh, they say that football, don't they call that the most beautiful sport? A poet of the pitch, if you will. Let's see which one is going to be able to score a goal in this round. Razi ibn Abu Turab Mashadi, also known as Dinesh, died in 1665 and was an Iranian poet laureate of the Mughal Empire between 1655 and 1662. Now, he was born in Isfahan. His father was a poet as well, who immigrated to India and died in 1650 in Hyderabad. Dinesh went to India before the death of his father, and Dinesh sang a kasida in the court of Shah Jahan and gained 2,000 rupees. Now, also, he served Shah Jahan and Shah Shoji Mazafari. Now, I don't know if Mutir Chajia served any Shah. I kind of doubt it, considering he's Belgian, of Moroccan descent. That's a fair guess, although there are a bunch of, isn't Morocco uh, kicking butt in the World Cup right now? Yeah, go Morocco, boo France. You heard me, France. Boo. Ooh, they're going to be coming after you with their baguettes a-swinging. Now, Motir Kajiha, was, uh, he was a descendant uh, of a Moroccan who plays in Italy, even though he's Belgian, and uh, he was a forward for Como. He arrived to Navarro from Ustende in 2015, and he made his professional debut for Navarra in Series B in a 2-0 loss to SPAL on the 4th of April, 2017. After the first part of the season in Portuguese club Estoril, on the 22nd of January 2019, he signed a two-and-a-half-year contract with Italian Serie B side Escoli. 
Now on January 29th of 2020, he joined Virtus and Tala on loan with an option to purchase and then July 13th of that next year signed a two-year contract with Italian club Como. This guy has got some definite uh, legs here. He scored, I'm seeing, five goals since 2017. He's still playing. He is only 24 years old. Very young. Got a lot of ball left. Uh, and now I see his position has been updated from forward to left winger, which if you only have the right wing, you're going to be going in circles. Yeah, it's really hard to fly a plane with only one of them. But I don't know if that's enough, even if there were two of this man, because he is not a poet laureate. Nor has he gained 2,000 rupees. So I'm going to have to totally agree with you, Rob. And we're going to move on. The Iranian poet laureate, Razi Dinesh Mashadi, to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything. I would love to be a poet laureate. You just, you know, it's your job to write poetry. Yeah, well, you're just going to have to start writing poetry. Hope that it's real good and people like it. Um, you know, we could do this whole podcast in rhyme if you wanted to. We've got the time if we can do. Nah, that's probably I'm not, not. I can't. I, yeah, we're not going to be able to spit bars like that. But I am going to be able to spit a bar that goes like this. Hey, it's time for round six. Making a turn around the last curve, he comes, he comes around the last side, and there you have it, there is your winner, round six. In round six, we have Mulvi Aga Muhammad against Amibara, the district. Ah, uh, a Pakistani politician versus, uh, you said a district, a Wareda. Indeed, of Ethiopia. This is going to be very exciting. I can't wait to learn about both of these highfalutin competitors. Mulvi Aga Muhammad was born January 1st, 1944, and is a Pakistani politician who'd been a member of the National Assembly of Pakistan from 2008 until May of 2018. Now, he was born on the very first day of the year, the 1st of January in the year 1944. So he started that year off with a bang. He was elected to the National Assembly of Pakistan as a candidate of the Mutahida Majlis e Amai, the MMA from constituency NA236 in 2008 Pakistani general election. And he received 30,611 votes to defeat Muhammad Sawar Khan. He was re-elected to the National Assembly as a candidate of Jamet Ulima e Salam and in 2013 Pakistani general election. He received 48,000 votes that time and defeated Muhammad Essa Roshan, a candidate of the Pashtunkhwa Mili Awami party, the PKMAP, in that same election, he ran for a seat in the National Assembly as an independent, but was unsuccessful. Yes, in that one, he received his lowest number of votes, only 152, and lost the seat to Amir Zaman. Though, in 2014, he was disqualified as the member of National Assembly, and re-election in the constituency was ordered. His National Assembly membership was later instated by the Supreme Court of Pakistan. 
Now, on the other side, we have Amabara, the Warida, in the Afar region in Ethiopia, part of Administrative Zone 3. Amibara is bordered on the south by Awashvantali and on the west by the Awash River, which separates it from Doleka. In the northwest by Administrative Zone 5 and on the north by Gawain, on the east by the Somali region and on the southeast by the Orami region. It is literally smack dab in the middle of all these other things. A couple notable, a notable landmark in the Wareda include the Fissure Vent Hurtali, which is 900 meters in some direction. Now, based on the 2007 census conducted by the Central Statistical Agency of Ethiopia, this Wareda has a total population of 63,378, of whom 35,000 and change are men and 28,004 are women with an area of 2007.05 square kilometers it has a population density of 331.5 a 58 it's a lot of people now agriculture is the primary commercial activity in this region and they actually began commercial agriculture even before the Italian invasion when a German Ethiopian named David Hall operated a farm at Malkawere. A local tradition is that a foreigner in this area introduced the invasive species Prosperous Juliflora to the Afar region in 1988. Now, of course, this is a small tree, kind of like mesquite, native to Mexico, but now in Ethiopia. Although the original intent was to combat erosion, the species has come to dominate at least 15 square kilometers of this land, endangering 11 species of trees, six shrubs, six grasses, and all of which are local for pastoralists as the native wildlife depend on. Yes, this weed has also made growing cotton an important cash crop more difficult. In response to this threat, however, Farm Africa has helped local inhabitants to organize themselves to eradicate propsis from the 280 hectares in the region, as well as build three pod crushing mills in Amibara and Gawain Wareda. Now, a sample enumeration performed by the CSA in 2001 interviewed almost 10,000 farmers who has an average of 0.2 acres of land. Of the 1.75 square kilometers of private land surveyed, 68, almost 69% was under cultivation. For the land under cultivation, 180 hectares was planted in vegetables, 3 in sugarcane, 96 in root crops, 146 in fruit trees like lemons and oranges, and 144 in bananas. The returns for cereal and pulses is missing, unfortunately. Uh, and nothing makes my heart pulse faster than a little bit of cereal. But we've also got to excite ourselves with the round of competition that we have here. And I am very excited, almost palpitating here. Uh, who shall we decide on? The politician from Pakistan or this wonderful chunk of land in Ethiopia? I think I have to give it to Ethiopia just because they have a fissure vent, which, as we know, is an opening into the earth on which magma pours forth. So you can look right into the center of the earth. That's really cool. And it's hard to look right into the center of a politician. And if you did, it'd probably be a deep, dark place, not full of beautiful flowing lava. So I completely agree with you. And Amibara, you're going to be moving on to the next round of... The ultimate Great job, guys. Really, really enjoy that volcano. Yeah, and sorry about all the invasive plants. That uh, doesn't sound fun. But I'm glad that you've got, uh, you know, they're 
they're fighting it. They're moving on to fight in another round, as are we, round seven. Round seven. In round seven, we have Mesolita Scutellata against the Conquista Rose. Ah, uh, yes, we have a bug versus a plant. Very exciting. Uh, two things that know each other well. Let's see which one's going to have the upper hand in this round. Now, of course, Mesolita scutellata is a species of beetle in the family Carambicidae, first described by Leah in 1918, known from Australia. The beetle. Uh, I don't know about Leah. Yeah, most of the other beetles that we know are from, oh shoot, where were they from? Now I can only think of Leeds, but that's not where they were from. Liverpool? Liverpool, that's the one. Um but that's not what we're talking about here. And now let's talk about our other competitor as well. The Conquista Rose, registered under the name R-U-I-C-H-1069A. Very catchy. A modern soft pink hybrid tea rose cultivar developed uh, in Holland by De Ruelter Innovations. The plant is tall, growing upright and compact. The cup flowers have a bright, unfading color with a st- suffused rose reverse and large blooms develop from urn-shaped buds and grow singly on firm stems which vary in length from 40 to 70 centimeters they open slowly reach an average diameter of 9 centimeters have 40 to 45 petals in a very tight bloom and are not scented so a rose by any other name might not smell of anything yeah it looks like this is a plant that we've kind of constructed ourselves genetic modification uh, specific breeding things like that this rose is specifically bred for cultivation in greenhouses or grown in pots but it cannot tolerate the outside temperatures of the natural world for it seems to be unnatural it's generally disease resistant and ideal for warm situations and the long-stemmed flowers are showy and long-lasting and well-suited as cut flowers now, of course, this rose was named after the 2005 opera La Conquista by Italian composer Lorenzo Ferrero. Conquista, of course, is a Spanish term meaning conquest. But will it have enough to find conquest and success here in this round over the beetle not from Liverpool? Well, some beetles I like and most beetles I don't. And the beetles I like happen to sing and play guitar, and the beetles I don't happen to have six legs and abdomen and generally fly. I think I might have to give it to this very beautiful pink flower. Beautiful though it be, um, you know, we've had to kind of make it. And if it was out in the world by itself, it wouldn't be able to make it without us. Doesn't do well outside, it said. But this beetle here is, I'm sure, very good at being outside. So I think I'm actually disagreeing with you. And I would like to lay my vote down for Mesolita Scutellata. Time for a tiebreaker. As we all know, there's only one way to settle this. We must Absolutely. fight using only the competitors aforementioned. I will take a bundle of roses, stems in hand, in a firm glove, and beat you with them. And I'm going to throw a big bucket of bugs at your grill. Let's see who's going to enjoy it a little bit more than the other. I'm having second thoughts. Can we um, just, like, I don't know, like pip, flip a coin or pick a number or something? 
Let's pick a number between 1 and 10,000, and whoever's closest will get their selection moved on to the next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. I think I can do that, and I think I'm going to go with 1,069, because that is the number in the registered name of this rose. Okay, now uh, for my beetle here, it looks like it was described by Leah in 1918, so I'm going to throw that back, flip it, and reverse it, and go with 8,191. 8, Our randomly generated number as of this moment, 7,906. And the beetle lives on to rock another day. Mesolita Scootalata, you're scooting on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. A rose by another name is still a loser today. That's right. But we're not losers, for we here at the Ultimate Tournament of Everything are glad to have you listening with us. Please don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe, and stick around, because we're moving right on to round eight. I say, would you by chance have any round eight? Round eight! Every once in a while, the universe smiles upon us, just as when we get the metal intro to round eight, introducing the metal band and their album, Feeding the Wolves, the Ten Years album, against the Krakow School of Mathematics and Astrology. Ah, uh, two absolute whizzes of their own right. Let's see which one of these is going to be able to... Hit the proverbial guitar solo of mathematical design and move on with a win. Feeding the Wolves is the fifth studio album by the American alternative metal band Ten Years and their third major label release. The album debuted at number 17 on the Billboard 200 chart with 19,000 units sold. Now, this album was produced by Grammy-nominated producer Howard Benson and mixed by Chris Lord Algy. The band has mentioned this will be their heaviest material to date and very similar to some of their early songs. The 10-track album was the Tennessee band's first since founding guitarist Matt Wantelin left the group in 2009. Throughout the first half of 2010, the band went back and forth between putting on live shows and working on the album in the studio. During this time, they debuted a few new songs, including Dead in the Water, Now is the Time, and the new album's first single, Shoot It Out. There was also a bonus track called Silhouette of a Life, which also included, which was was included on their 2004 album, Killing All That Holds You. And in June of 2011, a video was shot for Fix Me and later released in that year. Now, of course, they released not one, but two albums. The original one with 11 songs, and then a deluxe version with five more, no, six, six more tracks. Ooh, six tracks of delicious bonus goodness. Uh, looks like on both editions of the album, the iTunes bonus track appears at the end of it. So that would be I Blame You. Look at that. iTunes getting the bonus tracks. Now, I wonder if we get any bonus tracks out of the Krakow School of Mathematics and Astrology. And astrology actually meaning astronomy here in this case, I think. And that was because this was an influential mid to late 15th century group of mathematicians and astrologers at the University of Krakow. 
Now, of course, we have John of Glagow, Marcian Bem, Marcin Belissa of Okuz, Albert Brzezewski, Marcin Kroll of Zurique, and Nicholas Copernicus. That's the one we probably know. Is that the guy? Copernicus is the guy. That's the guy. He was the Renaissance polymath. Um, you know, I think this was back in the days when, like, a school was really just a club of smart people that all found each other and got, you know, they were smart together. Very much like us, Rob. We've got our own school here. Between the two of us, we're almost as smart <laughs> as a normal person. We're going to need a tutor. Um, were any of them tutors? No, they were probably in the wrong country. It's probably beneath them. Yeah, but the stars were above them, as were all of the numbers in the heavens. Um, but did they fly as high as the shredding music of the metal band, feed, uh, the metal album, Feeding the Wolves? Well, there's really nothing more metal than saying, hey, let's stare right into that sun for a while. And so I think I have to give it to the members of the Krakow School of Mathematics and Astrology. I 100% agree, especially with if these notable members were a uh, worth a track listing, the iTunes bonus track would be Nicholas Copernicus, and that would be a jam. So, Krakow School of Mathematics and Astrology, you are moving on with honors to the next round of... I wonder if Copernicus was all the time like, guys, guys, I'm not the center of the universe, but I know what is. And they're like, we get it, okay? We get it, Copernicus. Can you stop? Put your telescope away. It's the middle of the day. What are you looking at? I, I wonder if that happens. Um, maybe if we ever develop a time machine, we'll go, be able to go back, and that's exactly what we'll use it for. Let's take uh, Picasso with us. Yes, yes, and all of his written works and plays. Go ahead and check that episode out. We've got a whole bunch of episodes available for you. They're all gold as far as someone's concerned, and uh, we hope that you enjoy them. If you do, don't forget to give them a like, a comment, and subscribe. But while they were looking into the uh, past, or while we were just talking about looking into the past, let's look into the future, which is round nine. It's about time round nine. In round nine, we have Julian Fernandez, the footballer, born 1995. So I'm assuming there's another one, maybe born a different year. And Denmark's Adels Arbog, the yearbook of Danish nobility. My oh my. Now, I guess it shouldn't surprise us that we have so many footballers because it is the world's largest sport. But um, we do have a lot of them. And I'm sure that this yearbook of Danish nobility had a lot of Danish nobles in it, too. So let's see which one has the chutzpah to get it a victory. Now, Julian is an Argentine footballer who plays midfielder for Newell's Old Boys in the Argentine Primera Division. He was born in Buenos Aires in 1995, and his older brother also became a footballer. He came through the youth system of the club he supported, the All Boys, and made his senior debut on June 20th of 2013 in the last 16 games of the 2012-13 Copa Argentina, replacing Ivan Borgolo after 81 minutes of a 3-1 win against Boca Juniors. 
His first Primera Division appearance was also as a second-half substitute in the final match of the 2012-2013 season in a 4-0 defeat to Arsenal de Sardandi. He played four times in the 2013-14 season, at the end of which all boys were relegated, but appeared more frequently in the 2014 Primera B Nacional. A proposed move to Primera Club Olimpo de Baja Blanca on January of 2015 fell through when all boys asked too high a fee for him. As Fernandez established himself as a major player for all boys, so the transfer rumors continued. And in July of that same year, a move to another premier club, Independiente, seemed well on the way to completion. Still only 20 years old, Fernandez captained all boys in the 2016 season. Now, in June of that year, All Boys sold 80% of his economic rights to Olimpo, and he had played 78 matches for the club in all competitions and scored three goals. The player said the offer had come at the right time for him. Although he loved All Boys, he was grateful for their role in shaping him as a person as well as a player, but he wanted to play at a higher level, and his sale had brought much-needed finance to the club. He played a little for Olimpo's first team, only 12 appearances for the Primera, of which seven were starts, before he moved on again. Needing to replace Augustin Ferrius, their captain who is moving to Europe, Chilean Primera Division club Palestino signed Fernandez on a six-month loan in June of 2017. The deal included options to extend the loan for a further year or to purchase him. That's about all we know about Julian Fernandez, but what do we know, and this is a question I think we ask nearly daily, what do we know about Danish nobility? Well, if you want to know anything, a good place to start would be their yearbook. You can see who signed on the covers and what little notes they wrote throughout. I'm sure it's very fun and very Danish. Now, this is an annual presently it's a triannual publication that details the genealogies, titles, and coats of arms of Danish and Norwegian noble families. It was first published in 1884, making it one of the oldest such publications. And the most recent volume, the 2012 to 2014, is volume number 100 in the series, which has detailed more than 700 pedigrees. It was published by the Danish Nobility Association. Each volume has a new version of the Index of the Families that have a pedigree in DAA. The Index was revised in the 2012-2014 edition and is now on the Internet. Most mm. volumes have a section of new corrections and additions to earlier pedigrees, so each pedigree may have a number of corrections scattered through the many volumes. Now, these corrections should be consulted by users of a pedigree. I'm not sure what you use a pedigree for, but if you are going to, you should check the corrections. All corrections and additions can be found on the net. Sorted by family name, there is uh, ref two references to a link below, but I don't see the link. Well, this is almost like an ad for this website, and that's a great segue to an ad for this podcast. You can listen to this podcast in full-length form every Tuesday and Thursday, just like you are today. And every other day of the week, you can get a short episode where we compare not 18, but just one competitor out of the randomness of the Internet. That's right. In those, we take a quick look, see what we think about them when they'll inevitably show up to compete, gauge their chances and their choices, and... Uh... You know, there's no competition in that one. No stakes. We're just taking a look at them. But here in round nine of this episode, we've got high stakes. We've got the Danish nobility yearbook versus this 20-year-old midfielder. 
I think I have to go with the footballer because we fought two wars about this and we did not lose to say, oh, look at that king person. That's right. I'm not even sure what a pedigree is, but I can tell you that, uh, oh, he's 27. His number is 20. Uh, I can tell you that this guy, he, he's got the legs to go, and um, he doesn't need a yearbook. He's got his probably his own trading card, which is, I think, cooler than a yearbook. If every school that does a yearbook just had, like, a, you know, a rare, you know, limited selection of trading cards, every kid had stats on the back, that'd be really cool. That's a great idea. You've given my principal brain ideas, but that's for another time. I think I need to call Julian Fernandez our winner. Yes, uh, definitely. I'm going to agree with you. He's scoring goals on the pitch and he's scoring goals on the podcast. Moving on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. 